0: Welcome. Voice activation required. Thor. Access
1: denied. Uh, Thor, son of Odin. Access denied.
0: Adult content warning.
1: Access denied.
0: And spoiler warning.
1: Access denied.
0: Damn you, Stark. Binge mode. Welcome.
2: Binge mode Marvel. Whatever she is, we can we can stop her together. We can face her together. No, we won't. I'm on a different path now. This you must face alone. I love you, my sons. Look at that. Remember this place. Home. Yeah! Wow. The truest farewell to the All-Father. Our own Odin. sleep. And welcome to Binge Mode Marvel. proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of TheRinger.com. Oh, what a great website. (laughs) It's the best. Joining me today, now that he's finished taking his afternoon constitutional down the rainbow bridge with dear sweet Fenris, it's your favorite Asgardian god, Jason Concepcion. Mal, with the eternal
0: flame, you are reborn right here on Binge Mode Marvel, where we're exploring the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Infinity Saga and the comic book lore that inspired it as phase four of the MCU nears. Please make the journey to Odin's vault with us. By following this podcast on Spotify or subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and please rate and review us, give us the five star ratings or we won't share the eternal flame with you. If you're looking to catch up on our prior seasons or listen to them again, you can find our entire archive binge mode, game of Thrones binge mode, Harry Potter binge mode, Star Wars, binge mode weekly for free exclusively on Spotify. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, AKA the underscore and join our Facebook group which is just for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to share your thoughts on the latest contest of champions results and don't forget to head to the ringer.com/shop to check out our binge Mode brush. comfortable for a journey aboard the commodore
2: last time on binge mode marvel we nestled in the mountains with heimdall to talk about the marvelous thor ragnarok and today we're diving deep <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might tail off into another Odin sleep for a second there. <laughs> into your questions on our latest mailbag. As always here on Binge Mode, spoiler warning, of course, we will be going deep on everything you ask us right. about, all three phases of the MCU to date and the wider Marvel canon. That's right. So let Dr. Strange know that you got a computer because it's time to ask the underscore right after this. Yeah,
0: I know. Fantastic.
2: I'm excited too.
0: I'm glad to I'm glad that we have him back with us. It's, it's tough to get wonderful. him. He's been he's been inside the vision for uh, for a little bit, but it's great to have yeah. him
2: back. You know, before WandaVision kicks off, he's uh spending a few minutes with us here today. We're fortunate. Jarvis, what is it like when you
0: have a a, a butthole and then you don't have one now that your back is just like a voice
2: in the machine?
1: I can have as many buttholes as I choose.
2: <laughs> That's the spirit Jarvis read us number one
1: Vicky Mahoney asks Stinger rankings Which is the funniest Which gets you most hype for future movies And which is the best overall Wow This is uh, this is fun
2: This is okay. how you know we're deep in the run We're ready we to start deep, ranking deep, things Deep 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 deep, <laughs> deep in the run all right, so the first part of this was which is the funniest stinger? What's your, what's your pick for that? Here's the limit. I'm, I'm, I want to tell you something right at the top today. I set limits for myself for each of these questions, each of them. I, I will say that not a ton of them are super funny. This is, this yeah. is the easiest category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I limited myself to two. <laughs> first one, it just has to be the Spider-Man Homecoming post-credits, Captain America, meta psa about patience it was great
0: it was really great in this in the theater i have to say everybody (laughs) took it really well it was like (laughs) i don't know if there was frustration in other theaters but my theater was Hmm. uh tickled with it it was funny we laughed
2: it feels good to feel like you're a part of the movie and that level of meta commentary really brings you brings you in To the universe. Felt like I was right there with Cap, having him mock me for how much time I spend thinking about all of this. The the performance from Chris Evans, as is the case in all of the PSAs in Homecoming and, and the bonus PSAs that we talked about on the Homecoming pod, the line reading is spectacular. It's delightful. The actual language of this one is very amusing. Sometimes patience is the key to victory. Sometimes it leads to very little. And it seems like it's not worth it. And you wonder why you waited so long for something so disappointing. This is so deep into the MCU and the Stingers had taken on such a, such a titanic reputation as this thing that you had to stay in your seat in the theater. You couldn't miss it. It would be spoiled for you on the internet immediately. I just love this winking humor. What was your... Did you have another pick?
0: There's not, there's not a ton of super funny ones. I, this is, to me, far and away, the, the best. Um, choice for this particular category i I loved how one of my favorite things that kind of developed you know as these marvel movies uh went deep into their run is that is you know as like people would leave before the post credits there'd be like this knowing you glance around the theater and kind of give people a knowing glance like ah. They don't, I know, they don't know about it. They don't know about the, <laughs> the post credit scene.
2: Right. My other my other contender for the funniest one, this is more of a I'm a cat person uh, response, I think, but I do love the Captain Marvel post credit stinger with Goose puking up the tester act on <laughs> Big Nick's desk. This is something that any cat enthusiast is very familiar with. And it's nice to know that while goose is not a cat and is in fact a flurkin, physical act of vomiting and then immediately just going right into a, a cleansing bath same Yeah. For cats and flurkins. You know, I I always know if Halo's about to throw up because he begins to like speak in tongues. is like this like <laughs> that's the warning. And then there's the,
0: the... Wait, do it. Do it again
2: and there's like a like a, a shoulder moving and so you just know every every person listening to this who has a cat is gonna know exactly what I mean I really felt I felt seen in this moment with Goose That's so great <laughs> alright the second part of this question is which singer gets you the most hyped for future movies this was a tougher oh, one wow. I forced myself to only pick two well, what did you go with here I've got several so I'm just okay. gonna own it Um,
0: The first one (laughs) I've got, I'm going to, you know, again, I've experienced all of these in the theater as a huge comic books nerd. So it's like they hit, uh, they may not, these may not be technically the best or the most exciting, but they're just the ones that really fired me up the most at the time in the theater. The Iron Man 1 stinger with Nick Fury saying Avengers Initiative, I leapt out of my seat. I was just, uh, you know... you, at that point, it was like dare to dream that this could happen, so that was very exciting.
2: The stinger that launched a thousand stingers. <laughs> launched, Where would launched we be a without thousand it? Stingers. The Ant-Man and the
0: Wasp stinger because of you know, I, listen, there was, uh, I, no one was under any illusions that half the universe and half our heroes were truly going to remain ash and be gone, right? We all, like, we knew they were coming back. It was the, the the tension was how. And so what that stinger suggested for the solution to that problem was really exciting. And it was also just kind of like, I, I couldn't, I was like, give me a game as soon as possible. I couldn't wait for it. So that one was really fun. The, this is like a little bit of a cheat, but the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man one stinger, that's just a scene from Civil War. So that's like cheating. Uh-huh.
2: Well, here's the thing. I loved it, and I was extremely excited for it. Can't go wrong picking anything that involves Bucky. You have my support. <laughs> it was just, it was just
0: great. Like dropping into that scene with and being yeah. like, "Oh my god, what has happened?" Yeah, uh, and knowing know that the next guy. movie is Civil War, it was just tremendously exciting. So those are the ones that I, I was just like awed the most by. And you know what? I, like honestly, like. <laughs> Honestly like court death in in Marvel's the Avengers when Thanos steps out and and you hear that line court death and you know that this this is the big bad this is what's going to happen it's going to be Thanos somehow that was for for a real like Marvel nerd was just like holy shit. I yeah, the I, wink to the it was comic like,
2: death canon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just good. like
0: you legitimately can't believe that they're going this hard in the paint. It was shocking. Um so those are mine. What about yours?
2: <laughs> okay. Those are great ones. What I love about this question is that by the time we both finish answering for all three categories, we will have talked about almost every single one. <laughs> yeah. My I, for, I forced myself to, to keep it at two. So my two four stingers that got me most hyped for future movies are the Iron Man 2 stinger where we see Colson pull up in New Mexico and then we see Nier embedded in the earth. Now, uh, you know, I didn't it just a tad now with the clarity of hindsight because I prefer the stingers that are... Original, as opposed to mm-hmm. slightly truncated versions of scenes from ensuing films. And of course, we end up getting that scene in full in the first Thor movie. But when I saw that for the first time, when I saw Mjolnir for the first time, it's still to this day one of the greatest...
0: <gasps> yeah, we're gonna do it. ...thrills
2: and gasps, <laughs> because you know exactly that one image, that one visual, exactly what is coming and what it means. And it just still holds up. I, I love that one so much. My other pick for Stinger that got me most hyped for the future was the Captain America Civil War mid-credits Stinger. they one. great one. So much. So much going on in that one. You have this really sweet Cap-Bucky moment before Bucky goes back into the, the deep freeze. Our first glimpse of Wakanda! It's incredible. What is not to love about this? The, the focus on the past, the focus on the future, the way they merge together here in this perfect harmony, that great exchange between Cap and T'Challa. You know if they find out he's here, they'll come for him. Let them try. Woo! My heart is pounding right now just thinking about it. So those are my picks. And then for our third category, best overall stinger. I guess you could have a repeat here if you wanted to. I capped myself at two again, and I, I picked two different ones. What are, what are your picks for, for this category? I'm, I just went with one because
0: to me, it's the, the iconic stinger to me, and it is the shawarma scene uh, from Marvel's The Avengers. What seemed like a throwaway line, you know, at the end of that film, then comes back, and it was, in the theater, an absolute delight for that to happen. So funny. I I just love it. It has a special place in my heart, especially because that movie was such a, just a triumph. Landed in every single way from the action to the emotional beats, to the balancing of the character arcs. Uh, Though it required Hawkeye to be uh, hypnotized uh, for most of the movie, the character arcs were very balanced. uh, And I thought it was, it was really a, a, a small miracle of, of plotting, and I just came out of that movie on a high, and so that like just that little callback was just perfect. It was perfect to me, you know. Like, and then uh, you know the story emerging that they actually came back for reshoots to do it, like, is so wild that, that 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 it even happened. You know that somebody was like, you know what, let's call let's do a callback on this small line that Tony has about shwarma and the get everybody back and shoot them eating shawarma in a wrecked restaurant and that that got greenlit is kind of amazing and it's just a great moment. I just
2: enjoyed it so much. That's one of my two. I have yeah. it as well. I, I agree completely. It's just a, a perfect little movie moment. I think it has the the rare ability to function across time to kind of evolve with you as a Marvel movie viewer like, when you first saw it, the response is exactly what you described, and now I think there's a, di- a different layer to it where when you think especially in the, the wake of Ultron, Civil War, the reckoning for all of the characters and for the Avengers as a group about culpability, accountability, when you rewatch that movie now and you return to just that one moment of quiet and calm... And seeing these characters who we have spent so much time with now at this point, not just being superheroes, but being people and just spending a minute together as human beings, eating a meal and sharing a little slice of their lives together. I, it's actually moving. I, I love it. And you know, like I've, I've said this uh, plenty of times on the pod before, but
0: I'm just one of those uh, comic fans who's. For some reason some of my favorite panels, my favorite moments in in various issues are just like when everybody's just hanging out, the X-Men playing baseball, like the Avengers hanging out in the backyard and tanning, as like Hawkeye in a cut-off shirt and shorts like practices archery and like uh Captain America like mans the grill. Like that's I just like I'm truly a sucker for that stuff. Any scene of the Avengers like eating a meal together, I absolutely loved, you know, like Spider-Man and the new Avengers like watching television. Great. I love it. So it it just like really landed for me. It's a great it's a great moment for me.
2: My other pick for this one is Age Voltron mid credits, the iconic Thanos stinger grabbing the Infinity Gauntlet, putting it on, flexing his fingers and saying, fine, I'll do it myself. (laughs) I, Uh-oh. I still get a Uh-oh. chill every time, even now that the Infinity Saga is over. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And again, one of the things that's so fun about the Stingers is the variance that they can bring. Some of them can be these quiet moments. Some of them can be actually bold declarations of intent, hugely consequential for the plot, funny, lighthearted, dramatic, something from a future film, something that won't be in a future film, but sets it up, something that we'll never get again or maybe only get in one other cameo. It's just yeah. so rich. <laughs> Great stuff. Here's to the stingers. Okay, Jarvis, cue up number two.
1: Allison L. writes, I really loved the temporary matchup of Nebula and Tony. What are your favorite thrown together matchups of characters and why?
2: Great question. At the heart of so much of what we love about these movies, these surprising pairings, I'm about to shock you, Jason Concepcion. I, I love it. I limited myself to one pick here. <laughs> okay, one. I have some other questions later where I was not so disciplined, but I, I just I was worried that if I didn't do one, I would do thirty. So there was no in between for me. I don't have the 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 self control that you do to do three to five. So here's my pick. I suspect it's on your list as well, but maybe not. Pairing. Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy in Infinity War. This is my favorite source of unexpected joy and alchemy. The alchemy of the MCU is just on full display in these scenes. And it works when they're all together as a group. It works when they then break off into subsets. The instant (laughs) tension and drama that springs up between... Quill in Thor the added Chris Wars meta commentary element that's at play there how know, threatened so Quill funny. is the way that the other characters talk about him everybody describing Thor the some of the lines of dialogue uh, from from Marcus McFeely and the Russo brothers in those sequences about you know he listen to, it's like a pirate had a baby with an angel
0: I love when he fl- when he goes into the the Asgardian accent it's so good
2: phenomenal the really pleasantly surprising and kind of tender thor Gamora, common ground that they find. The families can be tough moment. You you think this is going to be the, oh, this is going to fall apart right away, this instant divide. How could Thor possibly align with somebody who has history with Thanos? And the ability for the characters to surprise you and bridge a gap and work toward a common goal really shines through with this pairing. Literally everything in the Thor rocket group, Nita Valir sequence is tremendous from the actual mythology and the canon, the way that Thor is evolving as a hero there. Again, the just hilarity of these pairings, (laughs) everything with Rocket and Thor in the eye, you really should have watched (laughs) that. (laughs) I've watched this by the time I've seen this movie 900 times, I will still laugh at these scenes. I still will. And just in general, it's so funny. It's so charming. It's also winning this this really pleasantly surprising uh, combo and, and set of characters who, it makes sense that they would be together, of course, because they're yes. all cosmic characters. They're a part of space-bound stories, so it's logical, it tracks. But there was still something really, uh, like this little electric jolt of energy that came from seeing them together, and especially when you're, you're coping in real time with Heimdall, Loki, these characters who you're accustomed to seeing around Thor gone. Not there. Well, what does this mean for Thor? How how will he find his way? How will he find his bearings? And I think it just speaks so fully and is so emblematic of the uh, MCU's perpetual, constant, ever-present ability to innovate and evolve. You know, this is an example of we, we talked a lot on our recent Ragnarok pod about the brilliance of deploying Chris Hemsworth as a comedic actor as a Thor who could make us laugh and to run with that and embrace that and incorporate that into scenes that are really at the heart of what makes Infinity War one of the strongest movies in the MCU. Connects to the past, builds an awesome, essential foundation for the future. I love it. So that's my pick. What about you? I love it too. I love when, um, it's a really small moment. Like,
0: I, I, I love everything you said. I always want more of these And so I'm going to give you a small one, and then I'm going to give you some ones that I wish had happened.
2: Oh, great.
0: Winter Soldier and Rocket in Infinity War, the disgusting, gross beasts of Thanos have, have breached the Wakandan shield wall, and they are rampaging across the landscape, and Rocket is, you know, standing on the ground and he's shooting at them. Winter Soldier reaches down and picks him up like by the scruff of his like uh, Mm -hmm. like his harness and does like a spin move where, uh, you know, Winter Soldier has one his gun arm out. And then in the other hand, he has Rocket, who is shooting. And then he does like this little pirouette and they take out all the enemies around him. And then afterwards, of course, Rocket, uh, extremely on brand, uh, just a lover of gadgetry and technology and shiny items in general, is like. How much for the gun, not for sale? How much for the arm? And, <laughs> <laughs> and Bucky just, like, yeah. gives him a look and and walks away and Rocket's like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get yeah. that arm. I love that. Like the idea of like Rocket trying to steal Bucky's arm all the time is, I love it. It's fantastic to me. And I think it's great. <laughs> I, I, it, that was like a very small moment that I just wish was a lot more. Like I, I could use 20,000% more Bucky and and Rocket Raccoon.
2: Same. I always want more Bucky. I always want more Rocket. The two of them together. What's not to love? Brains and brawn. The best. Great one. So great. And and then then
0: this isn't so much an interaction, but it's just something I wish was fleshed out. Like, what is Bucky doing in Wakanda after he's clearly he's he's they they let him come out of cryo sleep at a certain point. Right. Yeah, we get the White Wolf Stinger. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's doing stuff um before they deliver him his new arm and Cap comes to see him. So what is that what is that time like? I, I would love to know like what he's doing during that time. It's fascinating to me. Um and then after that, some ones I wish I had seen. Let's get the dads together, Odin and Howard Stark. Oh my God. <laughs> Those two
2: complaining like about their kids. <laughs> you know what? We got a lot of questions this time about like some version of power rank the worst parents or power rank the worst dads in the MCU. Wow. I mean, I, mean, I think
0: phew. Odin Odin way worse than Howard.
2: Odin has the top spot on lock. It the conversation becomes interesting after that. <laughs> yeah. It,
0: but like so Odin and Howard start just like sitting around downing, you know, tankards of Asgardian mead and Talking about how complex and occasionally disappointing their relationships with their kids are. Would I be once great.
2: designed an entire expo so that I could embed plans for the future new element into the waffle stands and the concourses. How about you? Oh, you know, I named my firstborn the goddess of death. Right. And then I banished her
0: Great chat a different dimension. Um and that would just be fantastic. Imagine the scene Frigga, Gamora and Nebula like hanging out. Frigga is just such a like a generous and warm character that who could forget the scene um in Endgame where Thor returns uh yes. to what a great scene. The past version of Frigga, she's dead. Uh, but of course she's that that hasn't happened yet. And so he has this really day um, of her death. Right. He has this really warm, like reconnection with her. And it just made me think like, wow, Frigga, Frigga, Gamora, and Nebula, like Frigga refereeing the spats between the sisters, and just like it, it would be it's something I would love to see. And then finally, Pet Avengers. Although Rocket would be mad that I I include him as a pet avenger and so you can't tell him this.
2: But pet avengers,
0: he would be fucking he'd be so mad. Howard the Duck, and this is not official pet Avengers, I know, but I'm just saying like the MCU version of Pet Avengers. Howard the Duck, Cosmo the dog, Rocket Raccoon, and Goose. Like get them together, just doing stuff. First of all, they're all sentient. It's not, yes, they're animals. So pet pet is It's really an insult to them, but it's just a cute name that I think really works as branding, but they're all super smart. That's like potentially a really competent team of enhanced super beings. Howard the Duck, Rocket Raccoon, Cosmo the Space Dog, and Goose.
2: Imagine that. I am imagining it right now in real time. (laughs) so great. (laughs) I want more Goose. Goose Goose is a great great. character. Just a very special flerken. And then listen, when we get the Inhumans, you bring Lockjaw into it. And now you
0: have legit, and then uh, once Doctor Strange uh, introduces Bats, you bring Bats into it. And now you've got like this entire, like real, actual, robust, crime-fighting, superhero, alien-defeating team
2: of pets. How about the cat Dr. Strange diagnoses with arthritis when Bats walks in and interrupts? <laughs> Can that cat participate too? Well,
0: Bobby. will Listen, depending on what happens in Love and Thunder, we may get, uh, we may get Throg. And then we had like, this is a tremendous. legitimate team. <laughs> like that team, that wow. team could take out the vulture. That team could take out like a pretty good amount of the villains that we've seen in the MCU. I love this. Can you get a snake involved for Thor? We'd have to figure out which uh, which snake to do, but yes, we could do that. I mean, we could get the world, you know, the world serpent, but that's yeah. a little much, I think.
2: He might be a little thrown by that.
3: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with twenty five thousand miles on. I got it to over two hundred thousand miles And your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade, boulder dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast.
3: This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me, know that about be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now. How about going to visit a 7 Eleven valid through 1725? 7 Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax. Participating US stores, see app for full terms, all rights reserved.
2: Jarvis, give us number three. Number three is a you one, Jarvis.
1: Brody asks After the recent news that Deadpool 3 would be an MCU movie and rate it all, how would you feel about this? And how do you think it would work?
2: Okay, so Jay, I want you to answer this first, but for any listeners who may not be aware, I'll just quickly read the Feige quote so everybody has the necessary context here. So a couple days ago, in an interview with Collider's Steve Weintraub, this was a this was from a and A. Q&A. So there's a couple questions and a couple answers. Here's the whole thing. Where are you in the development process of Deadpool three, and will it be rated R? To which Feige replied, "It will be rated R, and we are working on the script right now. And Ryan, meaning of course Ryan Reynolds, Ryan's overseeing a script right now, so it's begun. I think that was announced, wasn't it? Question mark. Now, of course. This would not have been such a mean story if it had been announced previously, which is kind of funny, but it certainly had been assumed that this would be the case. The next... Reply from Weintraub is, yeah, I think so, but I guess I'm curious. When do you think it could be in front of cameras? Could it be in front of cameras this year? Or there's no chance to which year replied it will not be this year. Ryan is a very busy, very successful actor. We've got a number of things we've already announced that we have to now make, but it's exciting for it to be gone. Again, a very different type of character in the MCU, and Ryan is a force of nature, which is just awesome to see him bring that character to life. So there you go. Deadpool is officially coming to the MCU and a rated R movie. In the MCU, so those are two huge, huge, huge official updates. How do you feel about it? How do you think it will work? Here's what I think about it. I love Deadpool. Mm-hmm. I think
0: the strength of Deadpool in the comics and in the movies is Deadpool's uh, separateness from a lot of the canon. You know, Deadpool exists as and and really like reached the character's full potential when the kind of like meta commentary was uh, brought into the character the breaking of the fourth wall the kind of like making fun of himself and the other characters and the and the kind of um self-referential nature that, that he understands he's in a comic book that kind of thing that's what's really great about deadpool and what's what makes that work is he's not really integral to the canon. He's not really tightly woven into a lot of the really important lore of either Marvel comics or with his previous movies of any kind of like wider cinematic universe. So I think it's tricky in that regard because how do you do it? How do you have the kind of like winking at the camera stuff, the talking about, um, you know, the jokes about the characters in a way that, um, Evince knowledge of the comic books and of their of the characters kind of place in pop culture without kind of like shattering the lore I think Ragnarok kind of points the way that that could happen you know obviously Deadpool's brand of humor is just much more it's much more abrupt because it really is like Deadpool looks directly at the camera and is like what a movie huh you know so how they do that, I, I, think it's, I, I do think it's trickier than it looks. And I think, you know, not to be a downer, I feel like the red flag here is Ryan is overseeing the script. I can't remember Feige ever saying something like that before.
2: I have a theory. Okay. Nothing will be different about how this movie is made from how any other Marvel movie is made. The Feige oversight, the Marvel Studios effect. This is to calm down Deadpool obsessives who might be worried about exactly what you're describing. Will the raw edge, the raunchy, (laughs) gory, over-sex, hyper-violent, and to be clear, I mean, all of those things as compliments, qualities of Deadpool have to be in some way diminished. Because the MCU, while of course intense, deeply upsetting, and edgy in its own way at times, is ultimately prime IP for the Disney Plus era, right? So that's my theory on that, is that it's to say, this will still be the Deadpool that you know and love.
0: <laughs> I agree, and I think that's a great point, but I, th- all of which I think is to say, and is to kind of underline that I think it's a little bit of a I think it's a a more difficult integration than ma- than it would seem to be on the surface. I think it's just tricky. It's tricky for both because of the content and the, and as you said, the raunchiness, the R ratedness, and because you know at, at this point in the MCU's evolution, there is a a real lore and a history and events that have happened that, you know, influence future events. And I think that kind of wall-breaking, that fourth wall-breaking dynamic that Deadpool has might be tough to integrate into that. That voice might be tough to integrate into Marvel's lore. Well, We'll see.
2: Those are good points. I think a lot of what you're saying is specific to Deadpool, but a lot of it gets back to the question we answered on our, our last Ask the Underscore about di- all of the announcements at Disney Investor Day and the question of oversaturation because, you know, the more franchises, characters, movies, and realms of pop culture creation that have previously been part of other studios are incorporated into the MCU, you know, the bigger the MCU gets, the the wider its consideration set becomes, the less specific and cohesive it is, like almost, almost definitionally, right? I remain, at least right now, confident that that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing and that actually that variance and expansion of tone and voice and vibe as much as character set is very much in keeping with what has allowed the MCU to stay so fresh to this point. I think with, with Deadpool in particular, the fourth wall point is a really good one. I had not thought about that. I guess the way I'll now rationalize that to myself is... There are moments in the MCU where th- this is not the same thing as the the fourth wall point that you're making, but, you know, we see newscasts where people in the fictional universe are talking about the Avengers. We know that the right. lives that they're leading are a, a, a cause for conversation among the regular people of the realms. So I think that there's a way that that could feel, even though it is a different thing of a piece. Now that you've got I me mean, thinking about that, though, it's hard to... It, say how could Deadpool break the fourth wall but then like Rocket doesn't? You know, do you're just gonna start expecting that from other characters? That's interesting. I think the things that I'm so excited about one, I love the MCU. I think that's very clear at this point. I'm ready for an R rating in the MCU. I can't I mean I'm really
0: excited. I I but like I said, I think I think that I, my only point being, I love Deadpool. I just think that he he's, he always works at his best when he's kind of by himself. He's been integrated into teams. He's been integrated into the X-Men teams previously. Um, he's been on X-Force. Um, he's worked with other heroes. But it's always like, even then, it's like they dial down the, the fourth wall breaking and it's always like a weird comic relief-y thing where it's like, okay, we're traveling um, 10,000 years into the future so we have to lock uh, Deadpool like in a freezer because he's basically immortal because of his healing factor and, he, and then 10,000 years from, we'll travel 10,000 years to the future and he will just have been in this freezer for that amount of time and then we'll just unlock him at which point he'll be like insane and have eaten his fingers numerous times because they just like grow back um, <laughs> like that's the kind of thing they do with Deadpool in the comics when he is integrated into other teams
2: So will this be when mutants first enter the MCU, or might we see members of the X-Men in the MCU before Deadpool 3?
0: I mean, I don't think it's obvious that this would be the case, but I think you could see how they could on-ramp it. Because, you know, they would say that uh, Deadpool got his powers through some sort of super soldier something, a, a Weapon X experiment on mutants and that's how and it's going to be the same program that created Wolverine or something like that and that's how you could onboard it so i could i could very easily see it, it, introducing members of the
2: x-men through this movie
0: and of course and of course like colossus and other like
2: mutants have appeared like of course have appeared in deadpool how does deadpool himself come into the mcu but we start fresh with the with deadpool 3 or do we get deadpool in a prior mcu movie like From all of the casting rumors and everything around Spider-Man 3, that seems like a pretty crowded film already. So it's hard to imagine there's room for much more to be added to that. But obviously, Spidey and Deadpool have comics history together. Maybe that's a way, a little glimpse to set something up.
0: Some kind of cameo or some kind of mention, you know, like a name drop, like um, like a Winter Soldier style you know jasper sitwell saying stephen strange kind of thing i could see there being like some sort of introduction before they before he actually comes in
2: we just have to get the the kids from midtown science and tech to play fuck mary kill again and start talking about what if he's burned beneath the mask and this time they just outright say like deadpool and then boom we've solved it there you go there you go i just got a great midtown high sweatshirt crew neck are you serious can't wait to wear it. Yeah, Adam got it for me after the Spider-Man pod. It's really oh, cool. No. I can't wait to wear it. <laughs> okay. Jarvis, give us number four.
1: <laughs> Noah Strummel asks, great Marvel bake-off. Oh, wow. Which three heroes make the final? Who wins? Who gets a Hollywood handshake? Who wins the most star Baker Awards? the first one out who leaves the baked alaska on the goddamn counter please dive deep
0: now the first of all now as you let me take the lead on the deadpool i'm gonna let you take the lead on this one because while i am a fervent consumer of british bake-off content you're much deeper in the world than i am although i am loving (laughs) it I've, I've, I've only watched like one and a half seasons. Okay. Yeah. I'm further than you. So the latest season and the season before when Paul Hollywood, like just went fucking crazy with the handshakes, like flooded the zone with the handshakes. And I thought it was a little much even, <laughs> I, you know, I, even me at like my kind of like naive level of, of watching this show. I'm like, you can't shake two people's hands in the same episode, but that's okay.
2: I recently watched an episode where he shook three hands in one challenge. No, that's too much. You yeah. got to you can't dole it out like that. It's got to be rare. It's
0: got to be absolutely rare. I think it's too much. If you're shaking it, three is way too much. It's quite good. It's a perfect <laughs> cake. You can't do that. You that can't do it. It's delicious. That <laughs> is delicious. I can uh, I, the 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 blackberries coming out. It's wonderful. And the biscuit is perfectly baked. I can't I can't you cannot shake more than two hands, Paul mm. Hollywood. What are yeah. you doing? Let me also yeah. say that this happens every time I get into a cooking show. I watched like two episodes of British Bake and by my third episode I was like, oh, that's not going to prove. Forget it. You're fucking <laughs> that up.
2: Yeah. I also find myself constantly talking about whether something is under or over proven. I, I I don't personally have a proving drawer. I've never proved an item in my life, yeah, and yet I have the same thought. Absolutely no skills. I have started. I Adam and I started watching it a few months ago. It's been a quarantine. Experience for us, and it's been just wonderful to, to get so into the show. and calming,
0: and everybody's so wonderful in it, and they all seem to really respect and appreciate each other. It's
2: wonderful. An absolute delight, the spirit of community on full display. <laughs> I find myself if somebody says a time out loud that I now just five oh, minutes instinctively know is wrong, I find myself almost hissing. Like I know. I'll just go, Yeah. Ah. <sighs> Underproved. Okay, here are my picks. Feel free to to run through this with me. Tell me if you disagree. Yeah, Throw another name in. Anything. Three heroes in the final. That's the first part of Noah's question. I'm going with Shuri, Hank Pym, mm-hmm. and Volstagg. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's I, I, why.
0: <laughs> I'm just dying to get the rationale. I
2: love okay. It. Shuri is going to be on the cutting edge, right? If Shuri were on Top Chef instead of Great British Bake Off, we'd see liquid nitrogen. We'd see a lot of experimental food technique, right. things that would shock the judges, right? Right. I have Shuri. I'll just I'll just jump to this now. One of the prompts here was most Star Baker Awards. And Shuri is also my pick for most Star Baker Awards because Shuri came to play i can assure you okay something innovative i think that shuri would be extraordinarily adept at the technicals right which really helps with star baker
0: absolutely 100 agree with you she's gonna nail the technicals but i think high ceiling low floor on the showstoppers
2: okay i don't agree i think i don't agree i think that the floor is really high. That's part of why that was part of my logic. Maybe the floor is so high actually that every now and then the the ambition is going to be so great that things fall apart. Right. But right. the wizardry on display, I just think it's gonna it's gonna shock them. Are we talking about a Mary Berry season? Are we talking about a Prue season? Doesn't matter. Everyone's uh, gonna I be should... astounded. Star Baker. My here's my
0: here's my thought on Shuri in particular with the showstoppers, I think mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of ambition, right? Of course, mm-hmm. I think we both agree on that. Like towers, and we're going to see panthers leaping off the top.
2: Edible vibranium
0: stitched
2: into the... <laughs> uh,
0: my thing is, we're going to get into an issue like with Manon from uh, from the season, the French uh, baker Manon from the season before this uh, last season, where everything looks great, Might not taste that good. I think so.
2: You're. It's the classic Great British Bake Off style over substance concern. It's a concern because listen, I
0: think was again you've seen more than me, but in my experience, what I've seen is they're really Prue and Paul are really going to ding you for taste. They'll let a little bit of sloppiness go, but if it tastes like shit, they're going to hit you. And I think that I think we're going to see a little stodginess because she's going to want to have that firmness. To like have the towers rise, and I think the trade-off is going to be in the taste, and I think that's where she's going to get hurt.
2: Flavors are going to be there, racking up star bakers. <laughs> not sa- not saying that Shuri's my pick to actually win the season, but okay, final three, and I think that the innovation just uh, leads to the star baker just wrapping up, racking up star baker after star baker, and and also poised. So the curse of the star baker not going to be a thing with Shuri. My next finalist was Hank Pym. I love this idea. Scientist, right? Baking is a science. And whatever the Pym particle version of a Chelsea roll is, I don't personally know, but I know Hank Pym knows. And I would be delighted to bear witness and find out. I think that the and I say this with love and admiration, older bake-off contestants. That's also that's a real part of the spirit of at least the bake-off seasons I've watched. I actually haven't caught up to the most recent seasons yet. I'm a couple away. But of the seasons I've seen, I think that this is what I would consider one of the archetypes that we tend to see in the finals. Somebody who is seasoned, a real vet.
0: Yeah. You someone see that who a lot. has
2: experimented a lot in the lab or the kitchen, built something on their own. Just out there in San Fran, living a rich culinary life, inspiration everywhere. And one more thing. Let me throw this out there. One more thing. What ingredients could Hank smuggle in with the shrinking discs? With the ants. I mean, that's cheating. Need an extra sugar cube? Need an extra hand finishing things as the clock melts down? Okay. Hank's going to cheat. Yeah, of course he would.
0: And, and he's not only going to cheat, he's going to be a little bit of an asshole. I think that's why I worry about Hank. Not because of any of the technical skill, but everyone on that show is just delightful. You it, like, I, I'm I constantly he struck does, that's true. by the warmth that the contestants show to each other, the appreciation and the respect they show to each other, even as people are, are eliminated. Oh, my God. Hank will be like, yeah, my shit is better than yours. Get out. <laughs> you <suck." laughs> that's- Like. That's true. That's, That's a tough it's one. Gonna be, it's going to be an issue, but I do, like, first of all, this guy's going to have 65-foot eclairs, and people are going to be like, oh, my God. Right. You're talking right? Like,
2: about a showstopper there, right? You're
0: talking about a, Giant talking about a showstopper <laughs> that you're going to have to go outside to see it because it can't fit in the tent, and he's not going to have any of these melting refrigeration problems because what is he going to do? He's going to shrink his thing down, right? Right so that it so that it freezes easily and then he's going to bring it back to regular size and he's not going to have any of these issues with the ganache dripping and like different ingredients weeping it's going to freeze it's not going to be a problem he's going to be technically perfect
2: maybe there would be some sort of chemistry problem there with the crystals expanding and shrinking but he would know that he would know how to avoid would know that it. yeah i mean ants with the the sugar work that <laughs> yeah. comes in need some help with the design as your icing I, I just, I I really, I believe. And I think also the quantum realm, if Hank needed to mess with time a little bit, <laughs> would I advise it? No. Would I put it past him? Also, no. Maybe, to your point about the the kinds of personalities, maybe Bake Off would be good for him. You know, help the, the generosity of spirit come to the fore a little bit more.
0: I mean, he's going to have to because he's going to get the villain edit. He's going to be such a jerk. He's going to be, he would be absolutely hated on the show. Like, people would hate him quite a bit.
2: It's definitely possible that instead of being a finalist, he would be eliminated right away if in week two, biscuit week, he made a beautiful, soft, luscious cookie and Paul Hollywood said it didn't snap. You know, he needs a snappy biscuit and Hank just launched into a tirade about how biscuits don't need to be snappy and basically got eliminated from the show right away. Yeah, being like, a dick. I, I, That's also yeah, when, likely.
0: When, when Hank punches Paul Hollywood in the eye <laughs> for like disrespecting yeah, for disrespecting his patisserie, like he, I think we could see him get ejected for that. But I agree so, with you good in note. terms of the technical skill. It's really just like, can he? Can he not be his own worst enemy? Is the issue, and can, and will he get away
2: with his cheating? Like, will he get caught? Because <laughs> <laughs> he will cheat. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The other final three contender here is Volstag. Famed eater, famed <laughs> drinker, famed. loves food. Is a, has a passion for it. Has a the discerning palate. Be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, uh, we will not have any issue with the flavor profile of Volstagg's offerings. He is going to invent and innovate. You are going to have spice combos and pairings that you've never thought of. Oh my! He's going to be bringing Asgardian
0: ingredients into this. Like he's going to be bringing the, the culture of Asgard into it. And that is. It is going to really excite people. I could see a little sparks between him and Prue.
2: Oh, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to put him on a Mary Berry season and he's going to put a <laughs> droplet of that thousand year aged booze into one of his scones and Mary's going to hand him the prize right there and shout yeah. Excelsior. Winner, I want to circle back to at the end. Let's hit the other categories. Hollywood handshake pick. I went with Mantis here. Because I think that as an empath, Mantis would be able to know exactly what Hollywood was looking for on a given challenge and work her way toward the handshake by crafting something that was exactly to his taste. Perhaps something with banana. Perhaps something with custard. Some of these things that you know he loves. An iced roll, maybe? You know, you start with something that you know he loves. Then you reach out with the feelers. What flavor is Paul in the mood for today? How long should I prove this? Again, a lot of my answers here, I'm realizing hinge on cheating in some way, which I don't feel great about, but they have powers and abilities. What are are they supposed to do? Just be normal? Not everybody's Peter. I couldn't play football, so I shouldn't. Not everybody's like that.
0: Can I throw one out there that I think Mm -hmm. maybe we're overlooking? I'm not sure this character has the aptitude, but I think that in terms of raw talent, could excel. Doc Strange, Stephen Strange. First of all, five minutes left? How about 50 years left? How about five, fifty <laughs> hours left? How about any amount of time oh Dr. Stephen Strange needs to get it right? That's
2: one. I wasn't gonna bring an infinity stone <laughs> into this, but it's your thought experiment, my guy. <laughs> and then the magic,
0: and then the magic aspect, like it is cheating, but he couldn't. In the we haven't seen him really do this in the in the MCU, except for you know the flagon of of beer for Thor and the tea and stuff. But certainly, it is within his power to conjure anything that he imagines. So I, I just think that he could be a challenger here. But I, I, I it's, it would
2: it, be cheating. It would be flat out cheating. You're making good points. It's not difficult to envision. On a week where they need to make a light, airy, victorious sponge, maybe maybe in a maybe a Swiss meringue, perhaps a Ooh. perhaps it's a souffle, something that's you know delicate and it requires precise timing. And you know they say to the contestants, "You looked ahead. 14,605,000 scenarios. <laughs> How many of those souffles came out exactly right?" And I can see Doc Strange. Raising that finger, one. I think you might be onto something here. I think the question with with Stephen Strange is just, would he let himself enjoy this leisure time? You know, would he relax? I don't think would he, he would. embrace it. Would he just be thinking about Dormammu the whole time?
0: He'd be thinking about Dormammu. He'd be of. Uh, he'd be looking around, slipping into the astral plane, looking at any of the demons or cosmic invaders that are trying to break into our realm while he's baking, you know, I think he'd be, and I think it'd be a little bit of the Hank Pym where you've just got an irritable guy.
2: I could absolutely see him using the mirror dimension to spy on his opponents and what they're prepping. Of course he would do that. (laughs) Okay. First out, this was the easiest one for me. I wrote down Justin Hammer quicker than I've ever written anything in a binge (laughs) mode outline. Is Justin (laughs) Hammer,
0: does he have any, like, it, Interest or talent for baking at all, do
2: we think? But that's the thing, right? He's going to come in, all of his interviews with the camera crew, big boasts, speechifying about the ex-wife, all the flavors, all the technique, things you have never seen before. I'm going to bake a cake in the shape of a drone and you're going to cut into it and it's going to, Ooze six types of cream and jelly, and then he's gonna get out there and shit the fucking bed. Yeah, the king just of like not he proving, he always does. Yeah, the king of not proving. He'd be
0: there like looking at Tony's, trying to steal his, like directly yeah, trying to steal. Exactly. His.
2: Always looking at the other station would forget to turn his own oven on. That's what would happen to Justin Hammer out night one. I love it. Baked Alaska on the counter. The last part of this question was baked Alaska on the counter. So I don't think you've seen, this is a specific reference. I have not I seen it. I don't think you've seen the episode that this reference is. I am I going not. to spoil it for you, if you will allow That's me fine. to. You absolutely have to go watch this right after we finish this. This refers to a moment between Ian and Diana during a baked Alaska challenge When it was a hot day in the tent, Ian's ice cream was in the freezer. Diana took Ian's ice cream out of the freezer in order to put her ice cream into the freezer. His ice cream then melted. His dessert was not ready. And spoiler alert, he threw the entire thing into the trash can (laughs) instead of presenting it. (laughs) <laughs> it was unbelievable. Okay. It's referred so to as he have Gates. Did he have anything? No, he had nothing because there wasn't time left to make something else. And there's this amazing moment where Mary, Barry looks at him and says, it was just a moment of your life. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So I do not know if the intent of Noah's question, who leaves the, base, the baked Alaska on the goddamn counter, is who's Diana? Meaning who would intentionally or unintentionally sabotage a fellow contestant did she or do it on purpose it means, well it's a it, that's the question isn't it i've never that's seen that kind of like animosity
0: on the show yet
2: it seemed like an accident but the conspiracy theory is that it was sabotage look into this it's amazing. I, it. I love it <laughs> this is going to be a great one when Cram has to fact check this and tells me I got 20 things wrong here, but this is my personal recollection of this. So it may be that, maybe this means Diana, the person who took the ice cream out. Maybe it means Ian, somebody who, and I thought Ian was great. He was one of my favorite contestants. So I say this with love for him. Somebody who the pressure got to him a little bit. Here's the thing. My pick is Loki either way because Thanks. Loki, I could definitely see Loki Introducing the stumbling block that undoes a fellow competitor. And I could also see Loki being being the contestant who has that it was just a moment of your life response from Mary because of something he did. I, I completely agree. Like, here's the
0: thing about Loki: incredible schemes, great trickster, yada yada yada. The guy is one million dollar move followed by a 50-cent finish <laughs> after another. The best. This guy chokes
2: constantly, all the time. How many times did he get to watch his own play before Thor caught him? Ask yourself that. That's. Years. I mean, that's
0: true. Years. That's honestly, like, that's three years of the best moment after moment after moment of Loki's life. That was Loki's, to catch a, a ringer term, that was Loki's apex mountain. Wow. Was that time as King
2: playing Odin? It's pretty rough if your Apex Mountain is that pretending to be someone else? The pretending to be your father—that's <laughs> that's a tough one for Loki. Yeah, I think who I love. Who would the winner of the Bake Off season be? This is the last part of the question we haven't answered. I had initially put down Hank, but you kind of talked me out of it. I just think Hank could weasel his way to the to the W, and I think I also, think so too. I just, I don't know. It's very easy for me to envision Paul and Peru handing Hank that crystal platter. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Scott. I can I see Hope sitting there stretched out on the lawn on a picnic blanket clapping for him. <laughs> I don't know. I can envision it. Can I, can I throw a, another first out at you? Please. Vision. Oh my god! I mean, he doesn't eat. You know, he doesn't eat. It would look fine. Don't tell Wanda. Flavors would be
0: absolutely horrific. <laughs> <laughs> did you taste
2: it? Uh, I don't eat. Yeah, this so is I did not, not taste it.
0: This is not paprika. This is not cinnamon.
2: This is not. This is not, chocolate. This is not saffron. This
0: is not this sa- anything. This is none of those things. <laughs>
2: amazing one do you have any other picks for who could win this season any anyone else you want to throw off or a winner well i like i said
0: strange simply because he could he's got as long as he needs to figure it out and he could conjure he could just flat out conjure cakes and hypnotize everyone into not having seen it not having seen that he just conjured it so that he they would all believe that he had actually baked it so I think he's, he's, a, he's a good choice for winner, even though, yes, that is obviously completely cheating, and it would... But what are you going to do? He's a wizard with a fucking infinity stone around his neck. How can you stop him? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Jarvis, give us number five.
1: At T-Main, 1320 asks, What's y'all's favorite movie theater moment, both MCU and non-MCU? Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, etc. cetera.
2: Movie theaters, Jay. You remember those? I love them. I miss them. I was just thinking back to our double feature of Call Me By Your Name and Phantom Thread at the Arclight. It like a wild another one. life.
0: I miss the Arclight. What a great <laughs> movie theater that
2: is. That's absolutely really
0: great. I adore the Arclight.
2: I know. All right, let's go franchise by franchise. Start with the MCU. What are your favorite movie theater moments for the MCU? Obviously, there are a million. We'll have to try to keep ourselves in check here.
0: I'm going to do two for each. So okay. uh, my my two favorite are I'm Always Angry, Banner seeming to have mastered the transformation into the Hulk, this transformation that he was so scared of, and now finally faced with this massive planetary threat he's able to let loose in a way that is the is cathartic and is so important for the emotional beats of the film and the fucking theater just like roared it was and and to that point i had never heard a movie theater like that and then finally uh second one the end game the portals into the the charge because it was like the buildup up it was incredible. Like, its I, I haven't timed it, so I'm just, like, coming off the top of my head with this. But it feels like there's, from the moment the, you hear uh, Sam's voice to, uh, yes, to the moment Steve says Avengers assemble and they charge, it feels like it's, like, a minute and a half. Like, it is just, like, a build-up, build-up after build-up as these portals are opening. In my theater, the crowd was fucking going Eat shit, insane! Like <laughs> cheer after cheer, people doing the Wakanda Forever Chad. It was like so, so, so wild. And then when he, uh, when then he says, uh, "You know, Avengers Assemble," and they fucking run. It was like pure, pure, pure adrenaline. Unbelievable movie magic. It was like a movie roller coaster, like going down the oh, steep drop of a yeah. roller coaster. But it, but the cinematic version. And it really felt like the roof of the theater was going to tear off. It was <laughs> truly incredible. And, you know, sometimes, with and this is one of the, as a complete nerd, here's one of the nerdiest things I occasionally do is I'll go on, there's like a YouTube of, like, Avengers reactions, like mm. MCU yeah. reaction YouTubes. And I will just legitimately watch them and listen to people I will just, like, listen to people cheer as these huge moments happen on the screen. Words can't describe how exciting it was.
2: A a cousin of Game of Thrones book readers filming Game of Thrones show watchers consuming the Red Wedding for the first time in those reaction videos. So I limited myself to three per franchise. Sure. And just to be clear, per the, the parameters of the question, these are just my movie theater moments. Not my favorite moments from the movies. I feel compelled to state that even though it's very clear. The two that you just said are also in my my top three for Marvel theater-going experiences. My top three are Bruce's I'm Always Angry in The Avengers, Thanos's <laughs> Snap, and <laughs> the I Don't Feel So Good, I Don't Want to Go sequence in Infinity War, and... Caps, Avengers Assemble moment in Endgame. Maybe it's a little bit of of recency bias, but I don't know. Those are pretty incomparable movie theater memories for me. What you described about, to to, to take the Hulk one from Avengers first, what you described is exactly how I feel about it. You know, we talked about it when we did the Avengers pod. It's just, man especially, it would have landed so fully regardless, but especially on the heels of the Incredible Hulk, which, you know, I think, again, we made clear we like more than maybe most people, but to introduce that version of Banner, that version of Hulk, to show that Hulk was going to be a meaningful part of the MCU, even absent more standalone films, the crystallization of the evolution And the arc, not only in how we understood Banner as a character, but how Banner understood himself. And then it's just so fucking fun, too. The thrill of it. The seamless harmony of the effects in that moment. Perfect. It's perfect. It lands
0: so hard. Every
2: single time, still. That's that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. The way he turns his head, like the fluidity of it, as he says that... absolute chills. Infinity War. We're going to do this, our Infinity War pod soon. We'll obviously talk about this more then. I will absolutely never forget seeing Infinity War in theaters. Ever. Ever. It is one of my single favorite theater experiences of my life. And when the characters start to melt away, even though the rational part of my mind knew that it would prove to be fleeting, knew that the characters that Phase 4 and the future of the MCU was largely going to be oriented around would not really be dead. It didn't matter. I was not thinking in that moment about the stakes or the logic. I was thinking about the visceral awe and devastation and how absolutely invested and distraught, I felt watching these people i had spent a decade of my life <laughs> caring about not only vanish, but then the ones who are left behind grieve and mourn. It's just incredible. And again, nothing about Endgame undoes any of the impact of Infinity War. For me, I know not everybody feels that way, but that's that's my personal take on it. And. Endgame, the final battle, which you already talked about. Everything from the portals opening through to Avengers Assemble, which, as we talked about at the end of our Age of Ultron pod, was 22 movies in the making at that point. It's amazing to just pause and remember that we had never actually heard that line before in the MCU. And the discipline required to wait for the absolute highest impact, most perfect moment to give us that. And, I, you know, so much of Endgame is about Tony and closing that chapter, but Cap is just as essential and elemental to it. And I love, I love the balancing act of giving both of them these Same. just massively impactful moments in the in the big set piece, the way all of the characters come together. You know, the idea of, if you think back to Cap's letter to Tony at the end of Civil War, the Avengers as a family, you know, yours may be more than mine. I think a moment like that really reminds you that they're Cap's family too. And again, everything that leads up to that, he's holding fucking Mjolnir at that point. I mean, it's just chills. Full spine tingling chills every fucking time
0: one more thing about that uh, the avengers assemble charge in endgame you know we talk a lot about like of part of marvel's secret sauce is is this understanding of how the characters operate in their in the comics universe but the thing that endgame did specifically that scene was capture the feeling of comic book art in a way that i don't know the splash page yeah, yeah the splash yes. page it says ever really been done in quite the same way because, you know, obviously the moving image, it's, it's quite different than the static uh, piece of art, but in, in that charge, there is so much happening at once that the only way, the only way to really appreciate it is to pause it. Now you could say, I guess, like the Ultron final fight at the end where the camera is sweeping around. It's just not the same because there's like so many characters on the screen and I mean I've watched it a million times. That was at this Ultron's point.
2: first body, and game is Ultron's third body in terms of the scope of it. I've just watched it a million times at this point. And to,
0: yeah. to like from Scott landing that like left cross on the chin of a Leviathan to Hulk throwing <laughs> like another character like out deep into the screen to Korg like Hitting another character with like a club. There's like so much that happens in three seconds, like in literally three seconds of that opening charge. That it's it is like a comic book splash page in that in that same way. Where I can just remember spending hours like pouring over splash pages, being like, "Oh my god, look at all, all the things that are happening!" Yeah. And and that that moment really captures it. It's just like I, it, it's so epic and so great. I love it so much.
2: I think the other thing that is really on full display there something else that we've talked about a lot over the course of the run which is the ability to find balance between individual stories and and the, the group stories and you really uh, man it's masterful in that sequence the pairings who each character is standing next to the little pods that they're in but they're also part, they're they're part of their individual arcs and their individual journeys but they're also part of this whole and i think again you know the spirit of the question is about the movie theater it's, it's like the inverse of the Thanos snap in Infinity War, where one of the reasons that's such a memorable theater-going experience is because you felt the air completely sucked out of the room. Whereas in, in Endgame, it does feel like you could feel like everybody's heart beating in unison, like hammering yeah. in unison in yeah. the room. Like it was almost part of the soundtrack of the sequence. Amazing. Okay. Star Wars next?
0: Yeah, let's do Star Wars.
2: Go for it. Okay, my Star Wars... <laughs>
0: these are going to be funny. I picked 3 for these just cuz it was hard. It was a little harder. <laughs> Bad movie, but the theater erupted in a way I'd never experienced when Yoda like pulls his little robe open and <laughs> and his little lightsaber goes into his hand. It was like almost unbelievable that this could happen. It was it was truly amazing that you were about to see yoda get down with a with a lightsaber the fact that that was going to happen it it almost didn't hit me until i left the theater that i had seen it and that scene alone in that moment made the movie 100% worth it the place Absolutely. went fucking nuts slipping <laughs> <laughs> around it was just incredible truly unforgettable moment i loved it um The Last Jedi Throne Room Duel. Yeah, that's uh, on my list too. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was one of those things where in the moment, I'm like, this is the most beautifully shot, Mm -hmm. most incredibly choreographed lightsaber duel I have ever seen. And I am so mad that this isn't available like, as a digital download right now when I leave here, because I want to see this again, just absolutely mesmerized by the action in that. Like, And from, you know, from the very first moment, from like, from the shock of Snoke's death to the lightsaber, like just zipping across the room and, punch, catching, yeah. <laughs> and catching the lightsaber. Like there's just like a million things that happened in that uh, sequence that I love. It's amazing. And then finally, uh, Vader and Rogue One. All of Rogue One, really. But Vader and Rogue One because it's one of those things where I loved the movie so much that it it felt like a gift. Like, we didn't need that. I didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. But they gave it to me. And I was so appreciative to get it. And it just really brought home how scary Darth Vader would have been. How scary it would have been to face off against a Sith or a Jedi. Like, as a regular combatant in the galaxy at that time because he just cuts through everyone with absolute fucking ease. It was amazing. Uh, Those are my three. What about you?
2: I once again have two of my three are are the same as yours. Unsurprising. Obviously, don't have anything from the original trilogy on here because though my dad did, as I've talked about, as I talked about on of Star Wars, my dad did take me to see those in the theaters when they were re-released, but I was... I almost consider that like I'd like ineligible because it's a different kind of thing than seeing a new release in the theater for the first time. So that was what I limited myself to for this. My picks are, the, the two that I have the same as you are, the Throne Room sequence in The Last Jedi. And I'll pair that with the Holdo maneuver. Again, we are talking right now about how we felt watching something in a movie theater on the big screen. You and I saw this movie together for the first yeah. time, and we were like, our fingernails were like tearing through each other's arms when that was happening. The absolute shock of it, especially when when the holding maneuver is executed, and that's those scenes are are back to back, right? They're intercut. Ray and Kylo have gone from being aligned to Anakin's lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tension is they yeah. pull it between them, and there's so much color. The orchestra effect of the sound and the motion. And then it it's just like a vacuum sucks the sound out of it. <laughs> it just, it just it, it it makes the
0: the hit land so much harder because of the way the sound just drops.
2: Unbelievable. And you're
0: just inundated by the visual, by this incredible visual that seems to be going literally at light speed, yes. but also incredibly slow at the same time, almost frozen. It's just an incredible contrast that it, it, it sent me out of the theater.
2: Yeah, that's like a, this is why people go to movie theaters to see things on the big screen moment. And then, of course, you have the a- added emotional resonance of what is unfolding between Rey and Kylo in that sequence. is just great. Also had Vader in Rogue One. The whole battle of Scarif is incredible. It's gorgeous troopers arriving and stomping down into the crystalline water yeah. the whole sequence is beautiful the finality of it the, the certainty you have of a, as a viewer of the finality of it yeah. because of its place in the canon it's all incredible but it's exactly what you said when Vader shows up it's just the embodiment of an oh fuck holy yeah. shit movie moment Everything about how formidable he is is on full display. He is the embodiment of menace and fear and and ability. And it's just perfect. And then my other pick is it will surprise no one who's ever listened to Binge Run Star Wars to hear Anakin and Obi Wan dueling on Mustafar. (laughs) Still my favorite. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just fucking love it. I hate you! You are my brother! Anakin, I loved you. I I just love the entire sequence. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I probably quote that sequence more than any other part of Star Wars. I love it. The fall of Anakin Skywalker, the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker is at the heart of Star Wars. Obi-Wan is one of my favorites. I, I love that sequence. And I think, as I've said a million times, the ability to actually make that so gripping, despite knowing heading in not only to the overall prequel trilogy, but specifically to the Revenge of the Sith, that the fall of Darth Vader is the point. You knew what you were working toward. That sequence leading up to that first inhalation of breath <sighs> when the helmet clicks in is Vader. Oh, love it. How about Harry Potter? Well, see, now this is going to be tough for me because
0: I didn't see any of them in the theater. I came at the end of the craze when they were releasing the last book and I'm just like, I'm going to read all of these because like, why have I been putting it off? So I read them all and then I didn't, by that time, like, and then the last movie comes out and I had not been able to see them all in the theater. So I can only imagine what the reaction would have been. So you go first and then I will say the ones that I think that would have moved me the most.
2: So, This is a tough one for me too because I have, as I shared on Benjamin Harry Potter, had seen the first three movies in theaters before I started reading the books. Seeing Askaban in the theater is what led me to go right to the bookstore, get the books that were out at that point and start reading it. And then from there, once I saw... I went to, you know, lining up at midnight to see them from there. And it's just a lot of... That's not how it was in the books for me the first few times I saw the movies. So you know, I found myself thinking for this exercise back through Half-Blood Prince and just getting enraged anew about some of the choices. Here, Here's what I'll go with. The climax of Prisoner of Azkaban, the serious reveal, the Lupin reveal, the moment when Snape puts his arms out and protects the kids and everything that forecasts about his, his true intentions. That was the experience that made me start reading these books. Changed how I felt about reading and stories. So that is a hugely important moment for me. The... Cedric death scene, Voldemort's rebirth in the graveyard in Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire is my favorite Harry Potter book, as you know. I have, as a result of that, quite a few notes on Goblet of Fire, the movie, as you also know. However, I can still feel the way my heart and my stomach were clenching when I was sitting in the theater watching that for the first time, knowing what was coming, bracing for it, I, I, I could barely breathe watching it. That's really how I felt about it. And then my final pick for Harry is the Tale of the Three Brothers animation in Deathly Hallows Part 1 when our pals, the trio, are at the Lovegood home and they open up Beetle and Hermione starts reading the tale and that absolutely stunning animation takes over the full screen. I was just awed by it. I was blown away by how beautiful it was. And the, the actual reading of the story was already one of my favorite parts of that tale. And then to see it brought to life in that way it was just such a gift.
0: That would have been on my list. And Voldemort's birth, I think, would would have been the two that really hit it. That is, it, it's, a shocking, it's a shocking moment in the movie that really just chills. And the casting is so good. One of my absolute favorite things about uh, watching BBC dramas and BBC crime dramas, which I love to do, is I recently did a rewatch of Broadchurch season one. Mm, mm -hmm. And it's like, I guess there's only 10 or 12 active actors in the UK at any given time, because I, I, and I love it so much. First of all, Broadchurch, fantastic show that really started the whole uh, mysterious murder in a picturesque seaside town vibe. That had you know continued on with uh, Big Little Lies and and and, and other shows. I, I just love it because it's like there's oh there's Filch, um, there's Barty Crouch Jr. Barty Crouch. There's like various people from Game It's just I I just love uh, watching BBC crime dramas for that particular
2: reason. I love it. There's Doctor Who. It's like, it's, <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> How about Lord of the Rings? Oh, man. We've both recently rewatched in 4K. Stunning. You might as well be at the theater. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. For me, oof. This was tough. Uh, Really tough. It was tough. Gandalf versus Balrog. We talk in the initial fellowship. Talking about the
0: opening of Two Towers. Not necessarily because of the crowd. Honestly, the crowd was rather muted when I when I think back to my theater <laughs> my theater um, experiences. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. Was rather muted. There were a lot of kids, and I think that people didn't quite understand how scary these movies could be, and so there were a lot of scared kids, especially in uh, Fellowship and Two Towers, who would end up like having to leave because the movies were just like way, 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 way too intense. So like full disclosure like i just the opening of two towers with with gandalf and the balrog falling 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 for like miles through the earth it just left me awed again the audience didn't really go crazy but there's something about scale like that like action on that kind of scale that just it activates my imagination and the idea of of Gandalf falling for all of these miles while in active combat against a balrog just uh just floored me and i
2: i was like blown out of my seat i love the way you just put that that's one of the things about middle earth that's always such a real treat to see rendered on the screen and brought to life is what is waiting for you just out of view and when you get to glimpse it when you when you set out into the depths of something previously unseen, it's it's always just such a, such a treat. And then uh, Helms Deep,
0: the entire sequence and don't uh, fuck and with the classic,
2: the, yeah, great to pitch. the charge
0: <laughs> of the to the charge of the roving like it blew me away. Then it continues to blow me away. Now I think it's one of the most uh, magnificent set pieces ever put to film.
2: You'll have to toss me. You'll have
0: to toss me. Like it's just so so good when Theoden. I laugh every single time that Theoden says, "Is that it? Is that all you can muster, Saruman?" Actually, no, bro. Like, don't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Pump the brakes, dude why are you talking wild like that <laughs> and it just it, it's every time he says it i'm like you fucking dummy
2: an amazing series of self-owns from theoden in two towers after yeah, and then- after aragorn convinces him to let Wormtongue go it's like yeah, it's, might be some regret there How about that drain? Yeah, like, can we not realize that that is, like, the drain, (laughs) obvious weakness
0: in the the defense. (laughs) But, like, the the entire sequence just blows me away. Like, the ramp up to it. I love the scene when, um, that really small moment where Aragorn is, like, we got old men and kids here. Like, this is, they're not warriors. We're not gonna be able to do this. And Thaden just was, like, I'm trying to keep these people, like, I'm trying to keep their spirits up. What are you doing? Like, Look at them. They're about to come apart. We need to... And he just gives them the talking to. It's like... Everything about it is
2: so good. Um, I love it. It's amazing, actually. I mean, Two Towers came out in 2002. It's 2021. Shocking. I feel so fucking ancient saying that out loud. But the reason I mention that is because it is such a testament that Helm's Deep is still, still the measuring stick against which we compare every other massive set-piece battle. Like, the Long Night, the Bells, we're talking about Helm's Deep as a comp. And, you know, I think that, having recently rewatched this, one of the things that, I'm glad you mentioned the wavering faith and the conversations in exchange with Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn, because the ability to weave in and out of those quiet moments of doubt, the desperate search for a glimmer of hope yes the the cuts to the faces of the the children and the people waiting in the caves and the the way that that is just seamlessly incorporated the cuts between those quiet moments those gentle moments and the bash and and clash of the action the lightning crashing down helms deep is incredible my only note still to this day the two decades later on helms deep is the note I had the first time I saw it and the note I'll have every time I see it, which is that Legolas's body count is wrong. And he's only saying that to make Gimli feel better. He killed way more, more guy than that. Way more. Anyway, great pick.
0: <laughs> I, one more thing about it. I, the pacing, I'm like the pacing, the battle goes on for such a long time, but you never really notice. But the pacing is so effective that I... I'll never forget my surprise when Gandalf shows up at the head of the room at the, in the theater, I had forgotten about it. Like you, they had, they, they, they hypnotize you with all the action and the suspense and what is going to happen. And the cutting back and forth between the the faces of the tortured uh, civilians and the, and the, and the desperation as the defensive crumble, like the defenses of, of Helm's Deep crumble inch by inch. That I had legitimately been like, oh, I forgot. Gandalf it was like, look, look for me like, at like a dawn, and and when
2: it happened, I was like, oh my god! <laughs> I know it's just I so good. So once again, I have of my of my three picks here, two that you just said. <laughs> the trend continues, <laughs> and it's that specific moment that. Well, I, I picked one from each movie, so I'll just start with with Two Towers and go out of order because we're talking about that now. But specifically. Gandalf arriving at the head of the Roharim and charging down to the battle at Helm's Deep. And not only because the sound, the score, oh, that like angelic injection of hope and possibility, the light, the cascade down down the, the hillside. It's like a wave, a wave of hope. But it's not just the magic of the moment itself, it's exactly what you described. The trick. Of getting you to forget a thing that you knew yeah, was coming. Because you're <laughs> so wrapped. You're so wrapped in what is happening. Gandalf had literally said, look to my coming at first He's light, it. on the fifth yeah. day, at dawn, look to the east. Very specific. He said it very yet, specifically, very like, clearly. What they do? And yeah, it's just, I completely it's just, forgot about it. It's just an amazing thing to be able to pull off every time. I love it. I, I should say more broadly here that my actual favorite moments in the Lord of the Rings movies are almost all quiet conversations, like lines that have embedded their way into my heart. Gandalf and Frodo talking in fellowship about, you know, can you give that to them? Those kinds of moments, uh, Frodo leaving Grey Havens. But thinking specifically back to, again, the theater for this exercise, and I saw all of these movies with my dad and my stepmom, Debbie, and for for me for fellowship, it just has to be. You shall not pass. It has to be
0: great. Yeah, it's pretty great.
2: I don't care if that's like just super basic as a pick. No, it it's is. Great. It's it's legitimately great. Fucking amazing every single time. And then you know, with now the the benefit of clarity of the entire trilogy, knowing the way that that of course comes back in in. Uh, in Two Towers, and we see the entire sequence and the, the emergence from Gandalf the Great to Gandalf the White. But in that moment there, with Gandalf challenging the Balrog, the response, the effect it has on the rest of the Fellowship, you know, Frodo shouting no and the just absolute despondence and oh, that like heartbreaking moment when Boromir's the one with some humanity, you know, for heaven's sake, give them a minute, let them mourn. It's just so gutting. And what I find so rewarding about it constantly on a rewatch is is knowing that Gandalf wants that. Knowing that he wanted to test himself, wanted to see if he could do it, if he could best that beast, best Durin's bane. But in the movie theater, when you're watching it for the first time, the absolute... Horror and shock when you see Gandalf fall, and you know I had read I had read the books when I was a kid, and so you, you know you know you know what's going to happen. But again, I think that's actually one of the tests: is if you know something's going to happen, can it still bowl you over? Can it knock you fucking out? And this does that for me every time, and it certainly did when I first saw it. My return to the King pick again. Sorry, I'm just a sucker for a good Aragorn speech. And, but it is not this day in front of the Black Gate It's oh, yeah, an all-timer for me.
0: It's a great one.
2: It's like everyone in the theater is screaming, cheering, and he what just What are your looks thoughts so on the extended good. edition when, when he fucking flat out decapitates the messenger? <laughs> I love it. I always watch the extended editions. Just put that out there, always. Can't remember the last time I didn't watch the extended editions, actually. Oh, Jarvis, give us number six.
1: Chris Roundhill asks, what are your shortlists for favorite non MCU Marvel movies? Top three?
0: Well, let me just first say that this is not, these are just favorite. This is not technically best. Oh, the old Uh, favorite
2: best distinction. One of my, the proud Benjamin tradition. Yes, I'm with you. Favorites, not best. A
0: number one favorite non-mcu marvel movie x2 x-men united because of just what it meant <laughs> to me as a comics fan as an x-men fan uh you know watching wolverine like really cut loose like on the screen for the first time cutting through uh, various enemies uh it was it just really meant a lot to me as an X-Men fan. I loved it being in the mansion, seeing all the kids, seeing all the mutant kids, mm-hmm. like and, so att- and watching the X-Men have to repel an attack on the mansion, getting a little bit of the lore about how uh, Logan came to be Wolverine, all that stuff. Like the big fight at the end, I think it's fantastic. I-, I-, I loved it. And it was just like a great movie experience for me at the time. Next, Blade and I throw you yeah. one and two. I throw Blade 1 and 2 in there.
2: Love this. Just kind of like
0: sad that it's so, it's we don't talk about it. Those are just like really good movies and a great use of a really kind of like a tertiary Marvel character. Marvel had this real monster movement in the late 70s, 80s with um with Blade and with the Living Vampire and with like Man-Thing kind of and Damon Hellstrom. And they just really did a great job with Blade. The action is is really good, and I, I love those movies. And then Spider Verse, like everything about Spider Verse, was so much better than it sh- than I was expecting. Than uh, than it needed to be. It was like every character was had so much heart and was also so funny the the arc of miles growing into the suit and into the responsibility of being a hero it, it just touches my heart it, like depressed peter there's so much like pathos in him it's like almost heartbreaking it's all of it is do just i want kids so good i love that moment so much
2: do i want kids
0: it's so good. I just was, I'm in awe of that movie. Impressed by that by that creative team. Impressed by, by that. I, I just love the movie so much and the visuals, Miles jumping off the, the building and doing the dive. It's like so fucking good. Those would be my top three. And I know I'm leaving out Logan and other ones, but that's fine. Here's my, I just feel like I need to defend myself with Logan. Here's my thing with Logan. It's a great movie and I love it. And I think it's magnificent. Part of why it's so good is because it is cleaning up for many, many bad X-Men movies. It is, it's closing a loop in that way. And that experience of having watched all those bad X-Men movies is interwoven with the experience of of the emotional hit that Logan delivers. And so I think it's a magnificent movie. It's just like, it makes me think of all those other bad X-Men movies. That's all.
2: Interesting. Okay. Really good list. I have one overlapping pick, but not two this time. <laughs> so my number one, had we done best instead of favorites, still would have been my number one. It's the best and it's my favorite non-MCU Marvel movie, Spider-Verse.
0: Yeah, it's ma- it's a masterpiece.
2: It's flawless. It's absolute magic. And one of the things I love about it, you know, we've talked a lot uh, over the course of our binge mode seasons about animated stories. You know, we love Clone Wars, we love Rebels, We love Spider-Verse, on and on the list goes. It was so exciting to see so many people celebrate an animated story and embrace it, and I loved that part of it. Miles is an extraordinary character. The visual palette, the aesthetic of the film is absolutely magnificent. The pace, the way it hums, the way it moves. As you said, the pathos, the, the... the impact emotionally of that story, the ability to introduce all of those threads so harmoniously is just beautiful. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story in terms of the way it hits you and resonates with you and stays with you, the way it looks on your screen, the way those Air Jordan 1 origin stories look on your feet, Jay, all of it. Beautiful, gorgeous, stunning start to finish a masterpiece. My two and three, Logan and Deadpool. Love a darker, more intense story. You know, my favorite all-time movie is Ordinary People. I love a somber story. (laughs) As much as I I love to laugh and I love good cheer, I love a somber story. I thought Logan was extraordinary. What you're saying makes sense to me. I think that's a really good point. I think maybe I responded to it the opposite way, which was I felt even more grateful for it on the heels of those, of those disappointments. And that uh, that impact has been really lasting for me. You know, I love returning to it. I have a very vivid memory of seeing it for the first time in the theater. And, you know, one of the things that I just love so much about comic book movies and and, and superhero stories is when we get to see how things change for these characters, how they live in their own lives, which I know sounds like a really thing, strange thing to say, but part of the fun, part of the appeal of watching a story where somebody has power, somebody has the ability to do something that you in your life could not do, is that you get to say, well, what if I could do that? What if I, what if I had the chance to live that way or I had the chance to experience that? And sometimes it's thrilling. Sometimes it unlocks your imagination. Sometimes it's terrifying, right? What if it's scary? What if it's dangerous? What if it's bad? And when those stories still then make the room to say, what happens when you get old? What happens when you grieve? What happens when you have to confront the the parts of you that aren't the way they used to be anymore? I love that. I thought Logan was... It really floored me. Deadpool, as we've talked about already today, what a joy!
0: (laughs) It's a hilarious fucking movie.
2: So funny, so fun. And I found it to be a real breath of fresh air at that point, especially when it came out in the overall landscape of superhero stories. Just a different vibe, a different energy. And even though I think it, as everything in Hollywood does, immediately spawned the, what are the lessons of the R-rated superhero boom and you know the narrative about what sort of attempts there would be to replicate that or approximate that, it actually still feels like, very original and very unique, like really its own thing. And I I I always enjoy returning to that. So those are those are my picks. I love that I love your picks as well. I'm so excited for Blade to come to the MCU. I really I am can't so, wait. I just can't wait. I'm so hyped about that. I can't wait for that. I'm really excited for that. Jason, as usual, we're running over time today. It'll shock everyone to hear. So instead of doing 10, you know, seven, they say, is the most powerfully magical number. So just one more today. Jarvis, give us number seven. <laughs>
1: Chelsea Bromley asks, "Power ranking your top songs/slash best uses of music in the MCU." I'd say top five, but I'm sure you'll make your own parameters.
2: Okay, we interpreted the question differently, which I love. Yeah, you go first. I went with, well, I
0: walk I, us I went it. with soundtrack. I went with the score for the most part, with with one notable exception. I went with score work. So uh my favorite piece of music from any Marvel movie is uh the Thor Ragnarok theme by Mark Mothersbaugh. <laughs> Especially with the love way that I just love the uh the collision of like symphonic scoring with this really kind of like electro rock feel when that mm-hmm. when the guitar comes in the <laughs> uh just really cool. The beat is awesome. Uh Number two, Taking a Stand, which by Henry Jackman, composer Henry Jackman in the Winter Soldier, Captain America Winter Soldier score. So this is, Cap is escaping from the Triskelion and it's like bum, 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 Just super exciting, cinematic feel, great workout song. I love it. Then number three, the Avengers theme. Bam, 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 bam. One of the more rec- certainly one of the most recognizable uh, themes from all of the MCU by Alan Silvestri. Yes. Um, next, "All the Stars" by Kendrick Lamar and SZA. This is off the songs inspired by the Black Panther soundtrack. Just a really great song. I love anytime uh, you pair like Kendrick's real staccato delivery with. Uh, the melodiousness of uh, either a composition or a singer. And I think that, you know, All the Stars is that. Scissors Hook is great. And then uh, The Sakaar Chase, again, by uh, Mark muggles from the Thor Ragnarok soundtrack. It's actually, it's definitely my favorite soundtrack of all the Marvel soundtracks. I think it's great, propulsive. It's got a very kind of like, almost like house music feel. It's fantastic. What are your choices?
2: Love this. That was great. should make a playlist. Okay, so I, I interpreted the question differently, which I think is, is fun that we went in different directions with this. I picked my five favorite uses of pop songs, rock songs, music from outside the MCU canon that was incorporated into the film. I will count backwards from five to one. I tried really hard not to pick two Guardians songs in the top five and I just couldn't do it. I ultimately could not do it. Number five, Red Bones, Come and Get Your Love, Guardians of the Galaxy. Nice. Not only do I love (laughs) the way the song sounds and feels in the movie, but the way that Guardians uses music, as we've now talked about on two of our episodes, is one of my favorite things in the MCU. The diegetic sound, the way that you are brought into what Quill and all the other characters are living and experiencing because you are hearing the same thing that you knew they are actually listening to right then and there. I love, and I think that just the fact that this was the first one, you know, it's how we open, we meet Quill, rocking out, singing into an Arloni on Morag right before he finds the orb that he doesn't yet know contains the Power Stone, singing Come and Get Your Love. This is the song that instantly unlocks the feel and the essence of what the entire Guardians of the Galaxy experience is going to be and then the added value of the fact that it comes back into play in Endgame during the time heist when they're (laughs) watching him it's like so he's a this guy's like a fucking imbecile just amazing number four Harry James and Kitty Callens it's been a long long time the cat Peggy dance song in Avengers Endgame I knew I knew this would be here. I'm so, I'm so painfully on brand sometimes. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I can only be me. <laughs> As you know, the dance is one of my favorite not only moments in the MCU, but the recurring through line of the promise of Steve and Peggy sharing that dance. Everything from their first conversation about, oh, you must have danced. In the first Avenger, the absolutely heart-wrenching conversation about saving a dance as the Valkyrie goes down and Steve goes into the ice, the way that it comes back in Winter Soldier when Steve is visiting Peggy in the hospital and talks about how he's got to, they've got to dance still, Jay, they've got to dance. It's the song that Nick Fury is listening to on the record player in Steve Rogers' apartment in Winter Soldier. What is Steve's vision? What vision does Wanda plant in his head in Ultron? This warped, bastardized version of what the dance with Peggy could be. There's so much build up to that moment. And it's just perfect. And for Steve Rogers, for Captain America, it had in fact been a long, long time. I love it. Number three, we just talked about this on our last episode, Led Zeppelin's immigrant song, Thor Ragnarok, comes into play more than once in the movie, is absolutely fucking awesome.
0: That's great. <laughs> Every time That's great.
2: the lyrics, Valhalla, I am coming. I mean, it obviously couldn't be more perfect in terms of the actual textual resonance. And it's also just a fucking banger, man. Like it's it's you just get so it's hyped. Good. It's 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 just pitch perfect. And I love, you know, learning about and knowing that that was a part of how Taika Waititi was conceptualizing his vision for the movie from the first sizzle reel that he put together. You can really feel that. Number two, Traffic's Dear Mr. Fantasy, Avengers Endgame. Nice. We open, of course, on the Barton family farm. Absolute heartache as Clint's family vanishes around him and you cut from that to the Marvel logo, Dear Mr. Fantasy playing, and then Nebula and Tony playing a game of paper football on the Benatar as this song plays. This is one of the things I actually think about when I think about seeing Endgame for the first time. I have a vivid memory of the song kicking in, the lyrics... The poetic impact of the lyrics, just the sound of it, the feel of it, and what it, what it means for Tony, like yeah, Mr. Mr. Fantasy, the MCU's Mr. Fantasy, and it's just perfect that choice. And then number one, as recently discussed, Cat Stevens, Father and Son, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, (laughs) Groot and (laughs) Quill. Again, I can only be me. This fucking kills me every time. You, it, it is currently, as we record this, January 13th. You might as well just print my Spotify Wrapped for all of 2021 oh now. I have listened <laughs> to Father and Son like 700 times in the last it. couple of weeks since we did that pod. I cannot stop. It's so moving. <laughs> oh, I just, ugh, God, I love it. There are a lot of choices, you know. Uh, the, the the way that the MCU mus- uses music is really, really smart. But that's my top five. Fantastic. So many wonderful questions today. Thank you, as always, to everybody who submitted them. We wish we could We uh, we wish we could answer them all. Friends, you could have sent an electronic letter. That's how Steve Allman, Isaac Lee, and Zach Cram are indispensable producers and researchers. Do it. Remember, if you're looking for past seasons of binge mode, whether it's Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Star Wars Weekly... They're available for you to listen to in full for free exclusively on Spotify. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today that you were as excited as we are to hop back into the Quinjet, explore the rest of this story, and that you'll join us again next time for our discussion of Black Panther. Until then, remember, we're not banners, friend. We prefer you.
0: It's quite magnificent. It's a large snake. Uh, never seen anything quite like it. The, the shape is beautiful. The eyes are gleaming. The forked tongue. Uh, Where is Loki? I thought he'd be here to to display this to us. But let's cut into it now. Ha ha! Ah! Yeah, Get me, Mary. Ah.